Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged as you listen today. Great to have you guys with us. I want to I want to read first a tweet. Okay, I still believe in the Bible, don't panic, but I just want to read a tweet, and it was a tweet from Brian Houston. Now, some of you will need to know what a tweet is. It's just uh, a form of social media, and it gives you an opportunity to put your thoughts down in 140 characters or less, and the whole world can view your thoughts. There's some great thoughts out there, and there's some bad thoughts. I'm not too sure whether Twitter is a good tool or a bad tool. I suppose it all depends on the hands that it's in. And so this was a great tweet by Brian Houston, who leads um, one of the largest churches in the world, Hillsong Church, little church, you heard of it? Yeah. And uh, he said this, no mature Christian who is seasoned in the word has any reasonable excuse to live their life offended. And I add a hearty yes and amen to that thought. No, no mature believer, no one who's seasoned in the Word of God, no one who is walking close with Jesus has any reason to live an offended life. And yet, 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 if I was to ask how many of you know Christians that are living offended lives, hands would go up everywhere. Maybe you're one of those who is living an offended life. And yet, according to this tweet from Brian Houston, we actually have no reason, and I agree with that, we have no reason to live offended, and yet many, if not the majority of Christians do. So what's the disparity between this truth and our reality? And I want to look at that this morning as I speak on growing in the grace of God. Growing in the grace of God. We do not have any slides, PowerPoint presentations, scriptures for you this morning because we have one of the best stage designs we have ever done. But it has got in the way of our technology, so we've lost the screen. And so you just have to listen up, okay? Tony Bates, I'm so sorry, there's no visual aid today. Tony tells me the more, whether it's the spoken word or the visual word, you need more to get people. Sorry, we don't have that. You can take your glasses off today. You just don't have to look at anything. Just, uh... But listen up. Listen up. I want to read from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. It says, You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forevermore. And to the day of eternity, amen. I want to look at growing in the grace of God. I don't have a PowerPoint presentation, so I'm going to repeat myself. Growing in the grace of God. Have you got that? Is it registered? Growing. Everyone say, growing in the grace of God. Excellent, excellent, excellent. In order for us to get closer to God, and that's the goal, In order for us to get closer to God and thus becoming more like Him, we must grow in the grace of God. And to do that, I want to take us on a little journey this morning to look at what God, by His grace, wants for our life and also to look at how God, by His grace, works this change in our life. You got that? And to do that, um, we need to understand a few things. It is possible that every person can respond to God in one of two ways. 
Every person in this room is going to respond to God in one of two ways. You will either accept God as Lord and Saviour of your life and so do His will, or you can reject God and do your own thing. The decision is entirely yours, but you will either do one of two things with God. You'll either accept Him or you will reject Him. And every person, having said that, needs to understand that it is possible to reject God in two ways. So we can either accept Him and reject Him, or sorry, accept Him or reject Him. But when it comes to rejecting Him, we can reject Him in one of two ways. We can reject God by insisting that we don't need Him and we don't need His laws and we don't need His ways, thus becoming our own Lord. To say no to God is to say yes to me. To say no to his lordship is to say yes to my lordship. To say no to him as king is to say, yes, I am king, king I, and I will sit on my throne. So we can reject him by ignoring him and insisting that we don't need his laws, we don't believe in his laws, we don't want his laws. Or secondly, we can reject God by insisting that we can keep his laws by ourselves, thus becoming our own saviour. The first one rejects God and says, I am my own Lord. The second one rejects God and says, I am my own saviour because I don't need a saviour. I'm good enough all by myself. One is the view of the irreligious person. That is someone who doesn't want anything to do with God. The other is the view of the religious person. And they are both different strategies, you've got to get this, that achieve the same objective. They both reject God. Irreligious people reject God and religious people are rejecting God. Irreligious people are saying, I don't need God as my Lord and Saviour. I am my own Lord. But religious people often fall into the category of saying, I will be my own Saviour because I am good enough and I will look after the laws of God by myself on my own, thus making me Saviour of my own life. And both have the same ends, and that is rejection of God. Are you following me this morning without our PowerPoint? You've got it. Different strategies to achieve the same objective, both rejecting God. For some, their sin is seen in the way they avoid God. For others, their good deeds is their way of avoiding God. And most of us, if we're on a swing between the two, there are days when we say, I don't need God. There are days we try and make up for it by our good works. And we oscillate between the two. Let me explain it this way. There are some days when we say, I'm going to do my own thing. I don't need God. And then we mess up. We sin, we feel bad, and in order to feel better about ourselves, we try to redouble our efforts and do twice as much good as we did bad, thus making ourselves our own saviour, thus rejecting him twice and sinning twice. Galatians chapter 2 verse 8 says, It's for by grace that you've been saved. See, Paul knew that this was the human nature and human tendency just to be our own Lord and Saviour. He was fighting this 2,000 years ago and we're fighting the same battle today. People wanting to be their own Lord and their own Saviour. And so Paul writes to a church in Galatia and he says this, 
It's for by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that none of us can boast. Don't you get it? You're never going to be good enough. You can never be your own Lord. You can never be your own Saviour. He goes on to say in Galatians 2 verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. In other words, Christianity starts with grace. It must continue in grace and it must finish with grace. And that's the battle you and I face every day of our life if we're not growing in the grace of God. We are all called to grow in the grace of God. And in order to help us grow in the grace of God, there are some things we need to understand about grace. And I want to look at three of them this morning and then we're going to break bread together. The first thing we need to understand about grace is this, and it's really simple. I love the simplicity of Christ. He keeps things simple for us to grasp. There are many things in the Word of God you may not understand, and that's fine. There are things in the Word of God I do not understand. But don't worry about those things so much as the things you do understand, because they're the ones we're going to be held accountable for. And so the first thing I want to mention about grace is this, that grace is a person. Grace is a person. See, my fear is this, that many treat Christianity more like a deal with God rather than a relationship with Him. If I give my life to Jesus, will I go to heaven? Okay, then deal. If I give my life to God, will will I prosper? Okay, deal. If I give my life to God, um, will I indeed be the head and not the tail? If so, deal. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And we have this theology, this understanding, this warped theology and this warped understanding of who God is as a person. And we never enter into a relationship with Him. We just have a deal with Him. And many people, I believe, have responded in an altar call, inverted commas, and given their life to Jesus, inverted commas, but they've done nothing more than just make a deal with God, and they're not Christians at all. They're actually churchians because they come to church expecting to fulfill their deal that they made with God some, so many years ago. And that's got to stop. We're going to grow in the grace of God. See, the result of this kind of thinking is this, that we have a distorted self-image. We think that if I'm doing well, we feel good about ourselves. And so pride is right there. I'm doing good. I went to church three times on Sunday. It was amazing. And I prayed every day this week. Oh, I feel so good about myself. And and instantly we're guilty of pride. Which is the very thing we're trying to escape as a non-Christian. And so we're back into what we tried to get out of in the first place. But the trouble is when we do the wrong thing, and we clicked that button on the internet and saw something we shouldn't see, or, or we, we, we saw a cat and when no one was looking, we just kind of, just, you know. <laughs> and we, we felt bad. We felt horrible. And now we're afraid, full of fear. Because, oh, God's not going to love me anymore. And so we oscillate as Christians between pride and fear. And that's the very two things we oscillated as a non-Christian, between pride and fear. And so we're not growing. As non-Christians, we lived in pride and fear. And now we give our life to Jesus and we live in pride and fear. And we say, come to, come to church this Christmas time so you can live in pride and fear, just like you are right now. And it doesn't make sense to people who don't go to church. 
And it doesn't make sense to me. And it shouldn't make sense to us because there is a better way. This type of thinking distorts our self-image, which also distorts our view of others. Not only do we view ourselves this way, but we view others that way. And we get quite judgmental about it. When somebody's doing bad, oh, they're horrible. Or if they're doing well, we feel bad about ourselves. And so it it, it distorts our view of ourselves, but it also distorts our view of others. And it makes our relationships become exclusive. This is what I've noticed about religious people. They never fellowship up. They always fellowship down. Because in the fellowshipping down, we feel better about ourselves. There's not a challenge for me to have to change if I'm fellowshipping someone who's got more problems than I have. And that's why I feel better about myself. And so I may have had a few you know, marriages that didn't go well, but you know, hanging around this person is awesome because they've had seven failed marriages and I just feel so good about myself. And yeah, I've been bankrupt once or twice, but I know a guy who's been bankrupt five times and when I'm around him, I just feel so good about myself. And so we fellowship down. Religious people always do that. They become exclusive in their relationships in order to validate their existence. And they feel better about themselves as they begin to compare themselves with their others. But they know if they compare themselves to someone who's doing better than themselves, then they're not going to feel good about themselves. So they don't do that. They only ever fellowship down in order to feel good about themselves. And this kind of thinking means that trials and tribulations become devastating in our lives. Because this kind of thinking has no room for trials. And trials become a massive test on their faith. And when something goes wrong, when we've made a deal with God to be the head and not the tail, and now we feel like we're the back end, not just the tail, but we're the back end of the tail. And my theology doesn't leave room for that in my thinking. And then we start justifying before God and we start you know, saying all the th- good things. I've been going to church for 10 years now and I went every Sunday morning and every Sunday night. This should not be happening to me. And the result is we either get angry at God and give up on Him or we give up on ourselves. And we see that all the time in church life. People getting angry at God and giving up on Him or getting angry at themselves because they can't match up to this incredible ask that God has of us. But we need to remember a few things. Grace is a person. That's what we're talking about. See, the principles and the precepts of God come from the person of God. In the beginning, God was there. Before there was a principle, before there was a precept, before there was a thou shalt not, God was. He was there. The person was there first. It was the person. What is a precept? A precept is a general rule intended to regulate behavior and thought. In other words, it's the what? Thou shalt not lie. That's a precept. It's a general rule intended to regulate behavior and thought. A principle is a rule or belief governing one's personal behavior. In other words, it's the why. 
So you have these precepts and principles. You have the why and the what. Thou shalt not lie. That's the what. The why might be to earn trust and respect from others. I'm going to tell the truth so that I earn respect from others. That's my why. And that's not a bad why to have. But what you need to know is these two things, precept and principle, alone are not enough. Because it doesn't include the person of the one who put the precept and the principle in place in the first time. And so you can have precept and principle and yet never have a relationship with the person of the one who put the principle and the precept in place in the first place. And that's why Paul writes that you grow in the grace of the knowledge of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is a person. And when you understand that, you'll begin to understand that God is truth. And because he is true, the principles and the precepts reflect who he is. And because now we understand who he is, we want to live a certain way. Not to earn trust, not to earn respect, although we will. Not just because God said, although he did. But because we want to reflect the character, the nature and the beauty of the one who put the principle and the precept in place in the first place. Which brings me to my second point, and that is this, that grace changes your motivation. See, it's possible to do the right things for the wrong reasons. I remember hearing a story of a humble gardener. And he lived on the outskirts of town. And lo and behold, he pulled up a carrot, one of his homegrown carrots, and it was of an incredible size. He was so proud of this carrot, he just wanted to show it off to the king. And he wanted to not only show it off to the king, but he actually wanted to give it to the king as a gift from him to the king. So just as a gratitude for ruling and governing the land. And so he took this massive carrot that he'd never seen before and he took it to the king and and the king was quite bemused at this young man's desire to give him a carrot. And so the king asked him, he said, well, where is your farm? Where is your land? And he said, it's on the outskirts of town. He said, I want you to know something. I have some land that is much richer in its soil and much closer to town. And I, I would love for you to have that. And so there was an exchange, the carrot for a whole piece of new land. There was also someone else watching that particular day, a nobleman. And he got an idea. He thought, well, that's interesting. One carrot for a whole new farm. So he had an idea. And he found his best stallion. And he walked to the king one day. And he said, oh king, great king, how are you? I want to give you my finest stallion. I have a stable not too far from here. Quite a humble stable. But I want to present you with this incredible stallion. To which the king said thank you and dismissed him. (laughs) See, the king was not only generous, but he was also discerning. And he explained to the other noblemen around, he said, you see, the gardener was giving me a carrot, but this particular nobleman was giving himself a horse. He did the right thing, 
I mean, who can ever argue with generosity? But he did it for the wrong reason. And we can do the right thing with the wrong reason. If we give good gifts to God, hoping that he will bless us, we're not really doing anything for God at all, but for ourselves. If you only ever give a tenth of your income so that you'll be blessed in good measure, pressed down and shaken together, you haven't given God anything. You've just given yourself a raise. And that's what's got to stop. So we can give our money every week and still not be growing in the grace of God because our heart has not changed. It is possible for the irreligious person to give, or sorry, not give, for the very same reason that the religious person does give. So one can withhold for the very same reason another can give. Let me explain. The irreligious person, the person far from God may say, I'm not going to give anything to God because I've worked hard for my money. I've worked hard. I'm a good worker. I deserve my money. That's pride. He may also say, even if I did give something to God, I don't think I'd have enough left for me and my family. That's fear. His reason for not giving comes back to two things, pride and or fear. The religious person can give for the same two reasons. The religious person can give a tenth of his offering. The religious person can give a 20%, 30%, 40% of his income and feel really good about himself and say, oh, I'm so glad that I'm so generous and I'm so good. Why is he giving? Pride. He's giving for the very same reason the person is not giving. Pride. You can also be a religious person and give out of fear. If I, if I don't give, I won't be blessed. And so grace and understanding grace will change our motivation. See, none of the above is causing us to grow closer to God, but further away. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, it says, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. In our pursuit to become more like God and get closer to Him, we actually find ourselves being alienated from God, even in our giving. Because we're not giving with the right motive. We're giving out of fear and or pride, keeping ourselves further away from God. Because it's pride and fear that kept us away from God in the first place. Maybe I should have had a PowerPoint. Jesus didn't come to change our behavior, but to change our hearts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church about the offering that was to be taken up. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. In other words, Paul uses grace as a motivation for the giving of the Christian. Don't give out of fear. Don't give out of pride. But when you understand the grace of God, it'll change your motivation and you can give out of gratitude. 
Grace removes pride and casts out fear and replaces it with gratitude. And grace becomes our motivation for giving. Thus, get this, fulfilling the purpose of God, but with a different heart. See, God's heart was always for us to be generous. But our generosity must not be based upon fear or pride, but one out of gratitude. And so when we go away for holidays this year, it shouldn't stop us giving to God. Paul says, just set aside a certain amount of income. And, and, and as we get our holiday pay, we, we set aside a certain amount of income because we, we're still grateful, surely. I mean, we should be more grateful on holiday. I mean, we're on holidays and we're getting paid. What a country. I mean, we should be more grateful. The offering should not dip in January. The offering should go up because we should be very, very grateful. But if we operate in pride, well, I've worked hard all week. I've worked hard this year. This has been a tough year for me. I'm going to keep for that for myself. We miss the point. We operate out of pride. Grace will change your motivation for giving, for singing, for church attendance, for everything we do. And thus fulfill the purpose of God, but with the right heart and right attitude. Now we're talking about New Testament Christianity and not churchianity and not religion. And there is a big difference. Which brings me to my last point, and it's simply this, that grace leads to repentance. Within the Pentecostal church, we understand repentance as a turning from our sin. I was heading this way. Repentance is a 180 degrees turn, and now I'm going in a different direction. We've, we've preached that and we've understood that for many, 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 many years. And that is true. But it's also turning from our self-righteousness and self-justification that is alive and well in our life every day. And that's why we need to die on a daily basis and surrender to God to surrender our self-righteousness and our self-justification. It is admitting that I have not only been my own Lord, that's the repentance we understand, He's Lord, not me, but it's also admitting that I've been my own Saviour too. I've thought that I'm a bit better than that person, so I'm going to heaven. Most people think they're going to heaven. You've got to understand that, certainly in Australia. And there's one reason most people think they're going to heaven, because they're a good person. And the reason they think they're a good person is because they know enough bad people. And so because there's enough bad people, it gets me into heaven because I'm not as bad as them. But our plumb line, our comparison is not other fellow sinners. It's the sinless one. He's our measuring stick. He's our plumb line. He's our mighty king. And my sin is not measured against other people's sin. My sin is measured against his sinlessness. And I fall short. Which means I can't save myself. And it means I look to one who can save me. The one who went on the cross and died for my sin. And I recognise he's bigger than me, smarter than me wiser than me and I acknowledge him as Lord and my saviour and I need to do that on a daily basis this is New Testament Christianity and, and you're going to have to do that without the keyboard and you're going to have to do it without the preacher and you're going to have to do it with, without the encouragement, come on you can do this you're going to have to do that in the midst of your workplace, in the midst of school, in the midst of university when people are preaching all sorts of other things and you've got to, you've got to make a stand in that moment you've got to die 
to your self-justification and self-righteousness on a daily basis if we are to grow in the grace of God. If not, then we'll be like those that Brian Houston spoke about that declare themselves Christian but live offended for the rest of their lives. It is admitting that I have not only been Lord of my life, but also guilty of being my own saviour by trying to do more good than bad. Martin Luther said this, that religion is the default setting for most of humanity. Getting back into good works. Who remembers a story as a band come about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Dr. Jekyll had an alter ego, Mr. Hyde, that would go out every night having taken some potion and do some hideous things. And every morning he would wake up having the potion worn off him and have a clear conscience of all the heinous things that happened through his alter ego. And he did this for many, many weeks and months. And then he began to read in the paper some of the horrible things that had been happening in his city and in his town. And then he, the penny dropped. He worked out that it was actually his alter ego that was causing all the pain in their city. And so he vowed to never touch that potion again. But more than that, to make up for his heinous deeds by doing good deeds. And so he went about doing good deeds. And then there was one day he's sitting on the park bench contemplating all the bad things he'd done and all the good things he had done. And he came to the conclusion, though I've done much bad, I feel that overall... I have done much good. And though feeling justified, and the author of that particular novel writes, for the first time, he became Mr. Hyde without drinking the potion. That's the tendency of you and I. Particularly those that have found Christ. We, we come out of a gratitude that we need a Saviour and we need a Lord. We recognise many of us come out of brokenness. Many of us come out of hurt. Many of us come out of confusion. Many of us come out of incredible need. And we find that He's there for us in that time. And we're so grateful that He washes away our sin and He takes away all the bad things that we've done. And we're so grateful. But this is what happens over time as Christians. We do good and 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 we do good. But we don't stop to think it's by His grace that we do good. And so as we go on, 10 years as a Christian, 15 years as a Christian, 20 years as a Christian, we start to think, you know what? I no longer need Jesus. I, I'm, I'm now good. I'm good all on my own. 
and thus becoming Mr. Hyde. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 40 years. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 100 years. I don't care if you've been a Christian for a thousand years. Is anyone here who's been a Christian for a thousand years? Anybody? Tony Bates? Anybody? Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. You should never sit on the front row. I can't see past the first row. You're safe after the first row. Every day of our Christian walk needs to be one where we grow in grace. And this is hard for us to get a head around because you can't approach it from your head. It's a heart response. I've been a Christian for 25 plus years. And I made a vow. I never want to lose the wonder. I never want to lose the awe of what Jesus Christ did for me. I woke up this morning and went for a walk and I had this, this thought at the forefront of my thinking. I was bad, thus removing pride. This is a daily thought we should have. I was bad, thus removing pride every day of our life. But Jesus loved me so much, He came and died for me, thus removing fear. And I walked around our block with a bit of a spring in my step with gratitude. I didn't pray out of fear. Oh God, don't leave me, don't leave me. God, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I should have, I'm so sorry. I didn't do that. I didn't walk around balancing the book saying, God, since I've been a Christian, my life has changed. I'm so much better now. I'm amazing. I'm awesome. Pride. But an incredible sense of gratitude knowing it's by grace I've been saved. Without that grace, I was bad. I will always be bad. Removes the pride. But knowing He came for me. He left heaven for me because He loves me so much. Oh, a perfect love really does cast out all fear. Can you imagine if we as Christians could live like that? What would it look like if we lived like that when the offering bucket came around? What would it look like for us as Christians as the opportunity to come to church? Oh yeah, we are free. We're free. We don't have to give. We are free that we don't have to go to church. Granted. But really, the gratitude should be the pulling desire to want us to respond and fulfill His purpose. Jesus never gave us freedom so we could do whatever we want, but that His purpose may be fulfilled with the right attitude. It is my prayer that we grow in grace. I think probably one of the best ways that we can audit everything I've said is to look at our prayer life. So you can do this now. We can audit our prayer life. What's the prayers that you've prayed this week look like and sound like? Was there any gratitude or was it always about demanding and asking? Oh God, I just bring little Johnny to you. I pray that he does this. I pray you protect him. I pray that you bless him. I pray that he becomes captain of the soccer team. I pray that he rises. There's nothing wrong with those prayers. But if that's all you got, there's something gone horribly wrong. If that's all you're ever praying, 
oh God, I, th- you know, I, I pray that my wife would, would be in good health so she can, what, what we're really saying is so she can cook me dinner and wash my clothes, keep her in good health, Lord. God, God knows what we're thinking. If, if that's the extent of our prayers, there is something gone horribly wrong. We've not growing in the grace of God. I believe there's a moment to pray those kind of prayers. I do. But I believe it should be on the platform of an incredible appreciation for who He is and what He has done for me already. Before we even ask Him to do any more, oh, what He's done, I was bad. Someone quite close to me who's not a Christian said this, are you saying I'm a bad person? I said, no, not at all. I'm saying you're much worse than that. (laughs) As am I. When you truly understand what Jesus has done for us, it is a wonder to me that He ever gave us a second chance. When you do a quick study of church history, you see God loving on humanity, bringing His prophets, bringing His priests, bringing His King's people to come and tell them that there is a better way. And many of those prophets and priests were put to death in stones. We don't want to hear that. 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 Then He sends heaven's best. And they kill him too. And yet he still says there's a way if you want it. What a Saviour. What a Lord. What a God. It flies in the face of the ocean. Why is there only one way? Why is God so narrow-minded? Why Why is He so narrow-minded that there is only one way to be saved and get to heaven? Why? That's the wrong question. It's the wrong question and it's the wrong conversation. The better question is this. Why is there a way at all? Why is there a way at all? We didn't come out of the womb just thanking Jesus. We didn't come out of the womb just doing the right thing. Every parent knows you've got to teach a kid to do the right thing. You don't have to teach them to do the wrong thing. Hey, Johnny, I want you to go and, and I want you to punch your sister. You know, no, we don't have to teach them that. They just do it. They just do it. We are great at doing the wrong things because by nature we're bad. What a saviour that he makes a way for us to be redeemed, healed, and made whole. And all we have to do is surrender to his lordship and say, I'm no longer Lord. This is what Christianity looks like. We get up out of our throne of King I, and we say, take your seat. We let the King of Kings take his seat on the throne of our life, and we acknowledge him as Lord. And we also acknowledge him as Saviour by saying, I will never be good enough. Paul, the one who wrote the book of Romans, says, why is it that I do what I do that I don't want to do that... What I want to do, I don't do. Have you ever done that? Try it this January 1st. God, I, I dare you. Make a promise on January 1 to do something good for the rest of the year. Go on. And every good endeavour and every good intention, oh, the old is gone. You can prophesy, you can quote Scriptures. The old is gone, 2013, gone, terrible year. 2014, a year of promise. Oh, it's going to be awesome. January 1, lunchtime. 
Some of us not even talking about being a good person. Some of us just talk about eating good food. But come lunchtime, it's like, oh yeah. Oh. Three hours ago, I really meant it. I, three hours ago, I really meant what I said, but now I'm kind of hungry and there's a pie and there's a bit of left over from Christmas. And, and then we justify, self-justify. Well, I wouldn't want to waste it. I wouldn't want to throw it away because Auntie Judy made it with her own hands. God wouldn't want to throw that away. That, that would be wasteful. And God would want that, would He? No. And now we're justifying ourselves out of the commitment we made in the first place. Oh, wretched man that I am. That's what Paul says. But thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. The gift of what? A person. That person is grace. His name is Jesus. Let's stand. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 